steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs! Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Vikings win it! The Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold, and today we are taking a look at the matchup presented to your Minnesota Vikings this week against the Atlanta Falcons, who are sporting a new head coach. Uh, Dan Quinn is finally gone, so the Vikings will get the first crack at the Raheem Morris-led Atlanta Falcons. So we will spend the majority of this episode breaking down Matt Ryan, all of the weapons that he has and why this team is still not good, at least on paper. Um, and of course we'll figure out how the Vikings are going to take apart this offense and defense as well. And we'll finish up as usual with our picks for the week. So that's the game plan for today's show. Uh, let's hop right into it here, starting with how the Vikings defense is going to stop the Falcons offense. So as Drew and I were talking before the show, uh, this team has gone from a defensive-minded head coach in Dan Quinn right into a defensive interim head coach in Raheem Morris, and that's because they believe that Dirk Cutter's offense is not the problem. And for the most part, I don't really agree, or I don't really disagree with that statement. I mean, there's obviously flaws on every single team, but when you have the kind of steady uh, production and leadership that you get from a guy like Matt Ryan, and you have a Hall of Famer and Julio Jones on your offense. The rest of the pieces seem to kind of fall into place. So this team, you know, on paper, again, you have to say on paper with the Falcons because they they don't really make sense to me in my mind. But on paper, their offense looks extremely good. There are Pro Bowls and all pro nods all around this lineup. Sure, there are a couple of guys that are maybe a bit past their prime, but there's also some guys that are just entering their prime as well. So, you know, when you look at this offense, Drew, I mean, it's pretty well put together. It's just that for whatever reason, and generally I'm going to say it's the defense, they just can't seem to get it done late. But, you know, Matt Ryan up top, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. I mean, Todd Gurley hasn't been poor, hasn't been bad this season. This is a pretty solid offense. There's big names. There's their star power. And I think, you know, go back to, uh, I think, you know, when Treadwell was signed there, that was what the 11th first round pick on the offense on the roster at that point. Uh, and so there's big name firepower there. Um, and, you know, when you look at, I, I think I would agree with you in that the uh, the offense has not necessarily been the problem. Like scoring points has not been a, the biggest problem anyway. You know, they put up 25, 39, and 26 points in their first three games. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ended up losing all of those to, because, you know, the defense gave up 38, 40, and then 30 to the Bears in that week three collapse to Chicago. So like they have found ways to lose games this year. Yes. Um, especially that, you know, that Cowboys game week two, which was the awful onside recovery play where I'm not really sure what happened, but that's just handing the game to Dallas. And then the Chicago game, I think they were up 16 with m- m- just a few minutes left in the game. And Nick Foles rallied the bears past them. So they, they have found ways to lose games. They could, they're, they could easily be, you know, one and four, two and three, but uh, you can say that about any team 
uh, in the league, and including the Vikings, that record could be very different, as we discussed on the last show. But I think the reason I'm so confident about this one is not because of their record or not because of even how they've found ways to lose games this year. It is because of Mike Zimmer's dominance against Matt Ryan um, in their past, I think. Basically, since Zimmer took over as Vikings head coach, Matt Ryan has done absolutely nothing against the Vikings. It's basically, for Zimmer, by the way, I love that you bring that up because it's basically since Zimmer left Atlanta that he's been demolishing Atlanta. And if you remember right, there's the fun story uh, with Mike Zimmer and his departure in 2007 where Bobby Petrino just up and left, right? He just decided he was going to leave the NFL for college, left Mike Zimmer hanging. He was uh, notably pissed off about it. There's some awesome quotes online if you want to search Mike Zimmer, Bobby Petrino next to each other. (laughs) And since that point in time, specifically since his arrival in Minnesota, Mike Zimmer defenses have torched this offense and made it look pedestrian despite the mm-hmm. fact that you know i just listed off you know a handful of pro bowlers for you and i'm sure you're well aware of you know the firepower that this offense boasts but for whatever reason you're right zimmer does seem to have their number and to be honest with you there's no rational explanation for that either right i mean matt ryan you look for the flaws in his game right as far as a fundamentally sound quarterback in terms of checking all the boxes and what you look for in a prospect Matt Ryan is all of those things, supremely educated at Boston College, one of the smartest quarterbacks in the NFL right now in terms of making decisions and progressing through his progressions. Uh, He's extremely savvy with the football in his hands. He feels he has good pocket awareness. He feels this kind of the surrounding area collapsing on him and is able to step up in the pocket, something that Kirk Cousins could probably learn from. And on top of all that, he's got great arm strength, too. He throws the ball well downfield. I mean, him and Julio Jones is kind of one of the underrated hookups of the last decade. One of the strongest pairings that you will ever see from the quarterback yeah. wide well, receiver position. How close were the, I mean, the Falcons were up 25 in the Super Bowl. Right. They were 25 points in the Super Bowl. That's how close this team was, and that's how good that pair was, Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, mm-hmm. to, you know, being, I mean, they were the best in the NFL, you could argue, that year. Um, you know, the MVP season. And it's just, for whatever reason, the Vikings, Mike Zimmer, that scheme has has Matt Ryan's number. And it, the thing about these games is that they haven't been particularly – I don't want to say they haven't been close because there's been a couple where the Vikings haven't scored points, but it's been – so I, I'm thinking back. This is off the dome, but Teddy's rookie year, that was his first start. I think the Vikings put up a bunch of points early, and then I think the Falcons toppled on late with some garbage time points to get like 24 or something like that. 2015, I think the Vikings went to Atlanta, held them to 13. 2017 held them to single digits in Atlanta. And then last year, the season opener was over by mid second quarter uh, in, in Minneapolis. So the, for whatever reason, Matt Ryan just ha- can't figure out this team. And uh, Zimmer has Matt Ryan figured out. It, it seems to, that's what it boils down to, to me. Julio Jones does not seem to have big games against this team. Uh, I think Calvin really had a couple garbage time touchdowns last year, maybe. But my word, it's I. That's the main reason I have confidence in the Vikings this week. And I the same. I got burned on the same rationale week two against the Colts with mm-hmm. Philip Rivers. But I'm going to stick with it here because the Falcons are 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 tumbling, and Matt Ryan is also having, for his standards, a down year too. So I've got the fact check. You actually came pretty close overall. So since 2014, the Vikings have played the Falcons four separate times. 2014, of course, being Mike Zimmer's arrival. They won all four matchups. 
first one was 41 to 28. And if you remember correctly, that 2014 defense was a far from a few, uh, finished product and mostly yeah. Leslie Frazier's defense. So we'll give him a bit of um, a bit of a pass there. The next game was 2015, 20 to 10 Vikings, 10 points allowed. This is kind of where it starts to get a little bit more fun. Minnesota in 2017 won by a score of 14 to nine. So they're averaging nine and a half so far over the last, uh, in 2015, 2017. And then in 2019, the most recent game played by these two teams, the most recent time that I thought this offense was going to put up points against the Vikings defense, they put up a whopping 12 against, and like you said, a lot of that was in garbage time. And that was garbage time. Yeah. Right. So over the last three games, it's been 31 points. So about 10.33 is the average for Mike Zimmer's defense since he got his unit intact against the Atlanta Falcons. Now, Bobby Petrino doesn't still work for the Falcons. So there's not like (laughs) my joking rationalization there. They just got mad and, you know, wanted to beat the Falcons. doesn't even make sense. But for whatever reason, you're right. He absolutely has the Falcons number and he has it in a big way. I mean, those numbers are astounding. Especially yeah. if you consider you know, the weapons that you're facing. And granted, Jones deserves a lot of credit here because we're kind of glossing over the fact that Julio Jones has been shut down for the, well, quote, shut down by Julio Jones standard over the last three matchups. And that's been exclusively Xavier Rhodes. I mean, I charted the 2015 and 2017 games myself. And that 2019 game last year was one of his better performances relative to the kind of substandard year that he put together last year. But so Xavier Rhodes is gone. That definitely changes things a little bit here. Granted, his production had kind of dropped off of a cliff, like I just said. So you're replacing bad with, I don't want to say worse, but probably also bad. And, you know, whether it's going to be Holton Hill or Mike Hughes out there or Cameron, it'll probably be Cameron Dancer, to be honest with you. And that, you know, makes me a little bit nervous. But nonetheless, you look at the rest of this offense here, outside of the two big guys that everyone knows, every detail in and out about their life. Uh, You have Calvin Ridley as well, who is one of the most efficient route runners in the NFL. Doesn't get a lot of credit for that, but he was one of the most polished uh, wide receivers that I've seen come out. He's the number one receiver on, you know, 25 teams in the league. Yeah, Yeah, 25 teams probably. Yeah, that's fair. You've got him as a nice, as, as, you know, a a 1B to Julio Jones' 1A. Russell Gage is also a nice piece. Uh, He makes, he's more of a third down, one or two, 15 to 18 catch guy, but uh, excuse me, 15 to 18 yard, uh, yard guy. But, uh, those catches seem to come up big. I, I, there's a reason why I know his name. You know what I mean? And, uh, Olamide Zacchaeus is the other one that people are trying to get me to buy into, but I don't, not really, I don't, not really fearful of him. I have seen a couple fantasy guys talk about Zacchaeus. <laughs> I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not buying. I think you guys are scooping too low on the barrel. Uh, but anyways, you got Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley up top for sure. And Russell Gage is a nice piece in that to make it a threesome. But then the offensive line is nice as well. You got Jake Matthews on the left side at your left tackle position. Granted, they overpaid James Carpenter and he's their left guard. But they've also got Alex Mack, who's a former pro bowler and, in my opinion, still plays at an all-pro level. Chris Lindstrom, who's a for, who's just drafted either in the first round or the second round. What was it, two years ago out of Boston College? He's an outstanding prospect that I think a lot of Vikings fans loved. And then you've got a, kind of a, a, a fall-in piece in Matt Gano. Uh, which, of course, was supposed to be Caleb McGarry's spot, but for one reason or another, he's not playing that right now. So that you got a strong front five. You've got receivers that stretch the field extremely well at both levels, you know, intermediate and deep. And then you've got this running back, too, in Todd Gurley, who we all know what he's capable of doing. 
it's just kind of a matter of, of if he's over the hill or not. And I think most of us would agree that Todd Gurley is not the same guy he was three years ago. But he's still a very efficient runner, a smart runner, sees the ball, you know, sees the field extremely well. He's not the kind of guy that cuts directly into a tackle. You know what I mean? So you have to be concerned, I suppose, with the efficiency and kind of the standard that Gurley plays with, even if relative to, you know, the MVP caliber year he had a couple of years back, he's not the same guy, but he's still very talented. And I think you can kind of say that for really the three big pieces on this offense, Matt Ryan, Todd Gurley, Julio Jones. You can kind of say that for all three of them in that they're still extremely dangerous, but you'd rather have them probably three years ago than you would now. Right. That's that's exactly it. They, the Falcons have been awesome the last couple of years at getting and maintaining talent uh, that is over the hill. Right. And it's not like it can't work. Um, it's just, you know, Gurley's clearly past his prime. I would probably say the same for Julio. Um, Matt Ryan, I think, as well. You know, those guys are, are past their prime. Uh you know, one guy we didn't talk about is Hayden Hurst at tight end. Uh, another, he's a solid pass catching uh, tight end there as well. So there, there's clearly weapons there, and I think it's weird that that's not like I, I would say that their receiving weapons are better than Seattle's. Um, even with DK Metcalf and Lockett, I'm going to pick Julio Jones if healthy and uh, Calvin Ridley all day. So the 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 threat here you know, it's just about the quarterback. And I think the fact that Matt Ryan isn't mobile or as mobile um, as, you know, Russell Wilson, uh, I think really bodes well for the Vikings because I think that's where this team can get into trouble is when quarterbacks that are mobile get out and move around and, and make things happen. And we saw that with Russell Wilson, and you're not going to see that with Matt Ryan. So you look at kind of the key matchups here on defense. Of course, it's going to be the Vikings corners against the Falcons wide receivers. You know, how, like, how much can you lessen that blow is, what, is kind of the question that I have. Is, is this going to be a 250-yard game on our cornerbacks? Or is this going to be like a 120 to 150, which we can the Vikings theoretically can take? You know, if you get if you told me that Julio Jones is going to get five catches for 70 yards and Calvin Ridley is going to get six catches for 50 yards, I feel like the Vikings have a very strong opportunity to beat to win this football game because really those are the only two guys that I'm truly fearful of. Truly fearful of. I respect Todd Gurley. I respect Matt Ryan, but I don't expect them to beat the Vikings down the stretch. I fully expect a guy like Julio Jones to just do something ridiculous and, you know, find his way to fall into the end zone on top of like seven Vikings defensive backs that are mm-hmm. trying to tackle him. I fully expect that type of thing to happen. The other guys are like, yeah, they're they're not the same players that they used to be. They're not, you know, dangerously skilled, if that's the right term. Like Todd Gurley doesn't have blazing speed. Right. He's always been a very fundamental runner that's extremely good at finding the correct hole and dashing through it. He's not going to blow you away with like a four or three. He's not going to bowl you over with like 240 pounds of muscle. He's just an efficient, smart ball carrier. And that's why he'll probably have a long career despite his prime being largely over. But so my point being there is that like, yes, that's a That's a great skill set to have. And he's an excellent asset for Atlanta, at least through four weeks. But that all being said, I'm not scared of him. I don't see him breaking one off for 80 yards against this Vikings defense. I mean, he might get 40 yards and then get tracked down. But I, again, like I just don't, I'm not truly fearful of these guys. Like I am, you know, Russell Wilson or, you know, a lot of the other pieces that we mentioned against Seattle last week. But that all being said, you know, you look at this group on paper, right? Again, I'm going to bring this back. Like you look at it on paper, you've got Matt Rat Ryan, all pro Pro Bowler. Todd Gurley, all pro, Pro Bowler. Hayden Hurst, traded from Baltimore recently, just getting his first opportunity as a true starter. Been very solid so far. 
Chris Lindstrom, probably Pro Bowl potential, not quite there yet. Alex Mack, Pro Bowler, All-Pro. James Carpenter, Pro Bowler and All-Pro at one point. I believe he's an All-Pro with Seattle at one point. Jake Matthews, Pro Bowler. Calvin Ridley, Pro Bowler to be probably. And then Julio Jones, like the best in the game. On paper, that sounds you know, like a real problem for a Vikings defense that's been, with the exception of third down, like you'd love to note, very average this year. But for whatever reason, this group does not scare me nearly as much. And I think you're pointing to a good fact there that, you know, the fact that Matt Ryan isn't mobile, the one skill he really doesn't have at the position, and that's because he's from the last age of quarterbacks, is really the one thing that makes me yeah. not fear him as a passer. Because it seems like Zimmer's, you know, what's really been sort of the uh... – the catalyst for his success against Matt Ryan in the past has been getting after him, disrupting him in the pocket and, you know, rattling him, forcing him, you know, into turnovers or uh, into bad decisions. You know, we saw a couple of interceptions in the game last year from Anthony Harris uh, that were just, both of them are just bad decisions. Um, and so that seems to be how he does well. Now, of course, the pass rushers are a little different this year. You don't have Everson Griffin. You don't have Daniel Hunter. You don't have, uh, you know, Linval Joseph in there either. Uh, so you're going to have, it's going to be relying on, you know, Odenabo and, and Yannick Ngakwe a little bit more, but I, I would imagine the same type of, you know, get it, get at, get after Matt Ryan, uh, bring some heavy pressure is going to be used in this game. And I would expect Zimmer to continue that. And again, the, the number like the Vikings are number one in the NFL right now, in third down defense. And so that ha- they got that going for him. And I don't see Matt Ryan, um, changing that this week. Fair enough. All right, so we've gone through the offense now, and again, like it—it it sounds more dangerous than it is, and that's kind of what the the Falcons' motto has been. You know, it looks like they're going to beat you, and then they find a way to fall apart, and that's kind of what they've been doing, you know, during the Dan Quinn era, Quinn era especially, um, but for some time now. But you look at this defense now, too, and you consider everything that I just threw at you, right? You look at all these players where you recognize, at the very least, you recognize all these names, right? And then you get to the defense, and it's largely the same type of situation. But for whatever reason, this group never gets it done in crunch time. And I do mean never. Honest to God. When it matters, I mean, official, team does officially not get it done. in 2020, they never get it done. Officially, because they're yes. 0 5. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, okay. Let's start with the D de- let's start with the defensive line here. So Raheem Morris was the defensive coordinator beforehand stepping into interim. I don't expect any changes to the defensive alignment. So we're going to be dealing with a four, three unit here and just filled with big names uh, and the, just the front four in all in itself. Uh, Tack McKinley's on your left side. He's been less than awesome since arriving in the NFL. Dante Fowler on the right side, also a top five pick. Not been great in the NFL. I believe he's on his third or fourth team now. And then you got Grady Jarrett up the gut, who is arguably the best three technique in the game. Uh, gets, uh, you know, with the exception of Aaron Donald, I should say. I, I don't yeah, know. you better be careful there. <laughs> I was going to say, I should be really careful. Everything underneath Aaron Donald is Grady Jarrett territory. Um, he's been outstanding. Extremely good pass rusher. Gets off blocks extremely well. And then you got Tyler Davison up there uh, to combine to complete that four-man front. Um, so like I said, you got star power, at least in theory, Fowler and McKinley are both supposed to be really, really good players. Fowler has been an eh player. I don't think Tack McKinley is even in the eh range at this point. It's been kind of, it's been more on, it's been, it's been more Laquan Treadwell than Justin Jefferson. Let's put it that way for Tack McKinley through his first couple of years with Atlanta. 
Uh, but really that one piece there, Grady Jarrett, can kind of make the entire unit look good um, if he's on his game. Yeah, they, uh, you know, that's that's the one piece to be scared of. And, of course, the Vikings, you know, on the offensive line, at guard position in particular, it's kind of where, uh, you know, the weakness is right now. And for what it's worth, Garrett Bradbury's having a stellar sophomore season right now. So that's that's good. And you're getting some returns back on that first-round pick. But, uh, you know, at Dakota Dozier and Drew Samia clearly are the, the you know, if you look at PFF, the red numbers on the the de- on the the map there for the for the grades so that'd be the one to be scared of is, is Grady Jarrett because you know you look into the secondary I know we're going to get there eventually as we go up but uh clearly I, looking at this defense clearly the pass defense on uh, the secondary is kind of where the biggest weakness is to me and I think if there's a way the Vikings offense is ruined in this game or can't uh you know get get off get on the board or whatever the case may be it's going to be because some of these pass rushers cause uh, some havoc in the backfield Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so the second level here. Uh, so if you could slow it basically to round out the first level, I know it's a, it's easier said than done, but if you can, if you can slow down Grady Jarrett, right. If you can keep him out of Kirk Cousins, face, I like the, I, just instantly, I like the Vikings chance to win this football game, but you know, again, easier said than done. Um, but kind of the way that this unit is arranged after Jarrett, Everything kind of predicates off of what he's able to do up front, right? If he's able to eat up blocks and get through blocks, that opens up space for a linebacker like Deion Jones, for example. So I kind of made a little bit of a misstep when I said earlier that they run a 4-3 because their base actually this season has been in nickel, which is something I should point out here. So it's more like a 4-2-5 than it is a true 4-3. The two linebackers that you need to worry about are Deion Jones, and I'm not even going to try to get this name right, it's something like Foyasad Olukun. Um, those are your two linebackers here. Jones is the one that you want to focus on because, as far as I'm concerned, to say. yeah. Well, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, um, but as far <laughs> as I'm concerned, you know, prior prior to his injury, Deion Jones was one of the best linebackers in the game. I kind of wanted, you know, a guy like him before the Vikings brought in Eric Kendricks because you look at his ability specifically in coverage. Dalvin Cook, if I don't, I doubt he's going to play. But I guess Alexander Madison in the in the passing game, Deion Jones is like made to stuff that. That's kind of what he does. He stops running backs extremely efficiently, and he's one of the best tacklers in the NFL. So in the second level, if you consider what I just said about Grady Jarrett, if Jarrett's not getting off blocks, what's the point of Deion Jones? He's their probably the strongest asset that they have in the middle of their unit, and if he doesn't really have anything to do other than clean up plays. It kind of just takes away from the effectiveness of this defense. But if you get Grady Jarrett to get through some of these holes in the, on the on the Vikings offensive line, all of a sudden Deion Jones becomes more of a factor in you know stopping play action, for example, picking off you know, screen plays, for example. He just all of a sudden becomes more of a piece when there's pressure in Kirk Cousins' face. So that's kind of what I mean when I say that the second level, if the first the Vikings can stop the defense, the uh, Falcons' defense's first level. Their second level doesn't have the opportunity to be nearly as good as they're capable of being because of the star power they have in Deion Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like that illustration that you pointed out there, and that's sort of the you know it, it sort of blends in with how the Vikings, uh, you know, I, I think they're at least when it comes to the passing game, that's the reason that they do well or don't do well. Is Kirk needs that time, and if he gets right. the time, he'll he'll fire a dart, uh, and you know if he gets his pressure, especially through the uh, 
the interior, right? Interior pressure seems to hurt him a lot more. Um, that's where things can kind of go wayward. So clearly a big one there to watch. And, uh, you know, that's another thing to point out too, is with, you know, what, wherever you stand on the running backs, don't matter train, uh, you know, Dalvin cook in or out this week, the fact of the matter is the zone run scheme, uh, you know, outside zone stuff, Madison doesn't have the burners to the edge that cook does. Um, so that maybe, you know, that's where Deion Jones and, uh, these linebackers could be a bit more of a factor is, you know, ranging sideline to sideline, um, maybe cutting those off a little bit more efficiently than if cook were, uh, carrying the football. So that's something to watch as well. Absolutely. For sure. And, you know, Jones is one of the best at bringing down running backs, period. You get a little bit of, you know, a slower running back or a, a different style of running back trying to play into Dalvin cook's running style. That's something to really watch for. I think you bring up a really good point there that we've seen Madison play Madison football, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think he's ever actually started a game because when he was, when Cook was hurt last year, it was Mike Boone. So you, we've never truly seen what, what Alexander, excuse me, Alexander Madison offense looks like. So that's something to consider, especially when you've got a linebacker as good at tackling running backs as Jones is um, coming up this week. Now, the true issue with the Falcons, I think, lies in the secondary here. And I think you alluded to that a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. There's some nice pieces. Again, a couple more first round picks to list off in Keanu Neal and A.J. Terrell, who is, of course, the rookie out of uh, Clemson from this season. But Neal has been on and off and he's also been hurt. And then Ricardo Allen has been very average. I liken him to a guy like Andrew Sandejo, where like your team just can never seem to get rid of him because he always has some sort of purpose, but he's by no means good. That's kind of how I feel about Ricardo Allen <laughs> and how I feel about his tenure specifically in Atlanta. Because I feel like this this dude's been around forever. And like I know I, I know his game style. He's a guy you can beat, but he's also a guy that knows what he's doing. So that's why he still plays in the NFL, and that's why he still starts to some degree and plays a lot of snaps. And then the final piece here is Sherrod Neesman, who I to be honest, I don't know a thing about. So I'm going to focus on the rest of this unit with, you know, excuse me, I missed Isaiah Oliver as well. And that's kind of what you're dealing with is those five uh, pieces of this uh, secondary here will be in there with Jalen Hawkins as well, rolling in, I'm um, getting a couple snaps here and there as well. But my point being here is I didn't, I don't think I said anything that, that scares anyone in the last 15 seconds about the secondary. And that's because it's true. You know, there, there just isn't that much good. There isn't many good things to say about this part of their the part of their defense. And I'll tie it back in with what I was saying earlier. If Kirk Cousins has time to throw, he will have time to pick apart this unit. That's a promise from me to you, because like Drew has said a million times in the show, it's not the accuracy with Kirk Cousins. If he has the time to fling it, it's going to get there on point, yeah. on time and about as good as you can get it from any quarterback in the NFL. Just can you keep the pressure on cousins or not that's the question you got to answer because there's not going to be coverage sacks this week is what i'm saying yeah and i don't know how the listeners feel about teddy bridgewater and uh you know whether when he was in minnesota if you loved him didn't love him uh but if you watched or followed the panthers falcons game last week you know that teddy bridgewater had 260 yards and two touchdowns at half last week and i think he uh, they, they actually went into big time, you know, two clock mode and he had up, ended up with like 315 or 320. So, but he, he chewed him up pretty good in that first half. And the, you know, Aaron Rodgers did the same thing. Nick Foles did the same thing when he entered the game uh, and came back and won. Dak Prescott did the same thing. Russell Wilson did the same thing. So, I mean, they've, they've definitely gone through the gauntlet of quarterbacks this year with the exception of the bears. Uh, but let's look, I mean, the numbers, you know, they are 31st in yards allowed. 
through the air. They are 31st in touchdowns allowed through the air. They've allowed 15 touchdown passes. Uh, they are 26th in interceptions, so they've picked off only two passes this year. And from an efficiency standpoint, so it's not aggregate totals, but net yards per attempt, they've allowed eight, which is 31st in the NFL. So they statistically among the worst pass defenses in the NFL. And I think, you know, I think Kirk should have should have his way with this group, especially the fact that, you know, Thielen and Justin Jefferson, uh, if you follow pro football focus, Thielen's number one graded receiver right now. Justin Jefferson is number four graded receiver right now. They got Irv Smith involved last week. He looked pretty solid. Uh, I like where this passing game is going. Uh, it's just going to be up to Kirk to avoid those catastrophic, untimely mistakes that swing the game completely, <laughs> as we talked about in the last game, turning it over in your own territory. Uh, but if you can do that, the Vikings are going to win this game. So here's the other thing that I want to point out about the second air before we get into our game picks here, is I was just kind of perusing the interwebs for the stats on the guys that I said I didn't know a whole lot about, just to get a quick kind of idea of what I might have been missing out on. First and foremost, I was right. I wasn't missing out on anything. Now, more <laughs> importantly to the point that I wanted to make here is that I started noticing that there's not a lot of interceptions in this secondary, just period. You look at the guys that I named here. I also forgot about Kendall Sheffield, does not have an interception to his name. Sherrod Neesman, no interceptions. Ricardo Allen, bare bones. Isaiah, Isaiah Oliver and AJ Terrell, nothing, right? So We're setting ourselves the, up for a cold, uh, an old takes exposed here. I, I definitely, because... <laughs> I'm okay with that, honestly, because you look at the interception total for this team. I mean, they have two of them. Yep, period. they have two of them. So, you know, I'm not, I guess kind of the point that I was ramping up to when I brought that up kind of out of nowhere is just that you can throw against this secondary in theory and feel pretty confident that the ball is either going to hit the ground or hit your receiver. And for a guy like Kirk Cousins, who, like you said, has this tendency to have those catastrophic mistakes, that's got to feel kind of nice to know that mm -hmm. they've played four games, five yeah. games well, this year, and they've only picked off, I think, one quarterback. They've, even. Picked, I think off, I think both. they've picked off two Bears quarterbacks. Yeah, okay, thank you. Yes. <laughs> they've picked, right. It was both in the same game. It was one was Trubisky, one was Foles. So, you know, they've now, again, those other quarterbacks they've played, you know, they got Rodgers and Dak right. and Wilson, and uh, that's a pretty solid list of quarterbacks that they've played, but they've I, gone through without a mistake. But we can we know for a fact here that at least probably half of our audience is not a Teddy Bridgewater fan, just from our kind of personal experience with yeah, yeah. engaging with There's people. definitely a kind of a dichotomy there. Absolutely. So I think that at least a lot of our listeners can take a lot from the fact that Teddy Bridgewater put up 250-plus in the first half with his noodle arm. Right, guys? So... That's something to consider in itself. I mean, yes, you're right. Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, they don't throw many picks, period. But Teddy's not Teddy Bridgewater was here to air it Teddy's out. Teddy's not throwing to Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson or handing oh. the ball. Well, he's not Bobby handing it off. Anderson. Teddy's not handing Curtis it off. To, Samuel. Teddy was handing it off, throwing screen passes to Mike Davis last week. Right. Uh, not Christian McCaffrey. So there's the, – that Panthers offense rocked the Falcons in the first half before they went into two-clock mode. And the same thing can be said about the Packers and the Cowboys and the Seahawks. And so this, this Falcons secondary, you know, for as much as the Vikings, we are complaining about the Vikings, you know, their secondary. Uh, the Falcons is much, much worse. Yeah. And I think they've got more they got more pieces to rebuild, too. Right. 
Like you just heard the names that I said. They're starting with AJ Terrell, which is a nice place to start for sure. I, I think he's an awesome rookie cornerback. I think he'll be very good. But you look at the rest, like you got like three more spots to replace minimum. And I just said that they rotate in three, four, five, six defensive backs some games. So, I mean, it, there's a lot of question marks there. And I think that's another good point that, yeah, the Vikings defense is, excuse me, their Vikings secondary is questionable. I would say there's even more question marks about the Falcons secondary. So all that being said, now we've gone through both the offense and the defense. I think that we've picked out, you know, the the pro, kind of the, the issues the Vikings may face and also kind of areas where they have an opportunity to find some success. Now, what we talked about last show kind of bleeds into this now because it's like we defined success last week as the performance of the Vikings play, right? They played extremely well. It's just that there's that one five-minute slab of time where they screwed everything up and ultimately they blew it. And then it shows on the, it shows on the stat sheet and they're one and four, right? So now you enter this game, you've got a situation here against a team that is vulnerable, to say the least, but are they going to get success in kind of the fun, like, we're going to be optimistic about the future way, or are they going to have success in a way where it shows up on a piece of paper that the analytics guys can use and show, you know, extrapolate on to show that the Vikings have potential to win football games and not just play well in football games? Yeah, you you hope it's you know resulting in wins and it's actually fun that way, right? Um, but I don't know. I that's the thing about this game is if the Vikings beat the Falcons, that doesn't change my perception of them. You know, like I, if you beat an 0 5 team that has just instituted the new head coach, essentially, like that doesn't change my perception of the team. Now, no. if they lose, then that will greatly impact the way I I feel about this team and. That, that is going to, if the, you know, if the door is like ajar right now on the season and the chances, like that would latch it shut, you know, if they, if they lose at, uh, against Atlanta. So, um, they probably feel the I, same way about us, by the way, they're fans. Like, I'm sure there's a podcast in like a different universe that is saying the same thing about the Vikings right now. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. It's kind of the Spider-Man meme, you know, you know what I'm talking about? A little about bit. Little bit. Oh yeah. I can, these teams like for... They are very For similar. The, you know, they are very similar. Two stud yeah. receivers, quarterback that's probably, it's like, I mean, I guess with Ryan, he literally got them to the Super Bowl. Right. But like, you know, at this point in their careers, probably not the guy that they need to to make a Super Bowl run. Not super mobile guys either. Defensively, there's some star power, but it's not quite put together. Now, last three games, Vikings defense has been much, much better. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's one thing to consider. But I, if we're going to, go into our picks here we'll kind yeah, of lead off with do. vikings falcons uh, i'm going to pick the vikings and I, I i haven't picked the vikings this confidently in a while and i'm going to you know it's it's just i think it's more of a reflection of how bad the falcon secondary is and uh they're even worse in seattle and kirk was pretty solid against seattle last week so i'll take i'll take the vikings so i'm going to take the vikings as well unfortunately which means they're probably going to flub this one but um my thought process being that the vikings as we've said played very well with the exception of a couple minutes last week this team looks a lot better than they are on paper they look so much better than a one and four record this looks like a two and three or three and two team to me right now a team that could go either way in theory atlanta looks like an zero and five football team they have found ways to lose as you stated multiple times they're injured they've got an older kind of trending down cornerback 
Uh, Julio Jones is basically taking a game off every other week because he's always hurt at this point. You know, Calvin Ridley found a way to disappear the other night. Zero catches, zero targets. That's your best offensive playmaker on a guy that, on a night that Julio Jones isn't playing. Like, they find ways to lose more than the Vikings do. Their fans have more to be pissed off about on a week-to-week basis than fans do, which is shocking. And for that reason, I'm going Minnesota without question. I'm yeah. very they're confident like, in this like, matchup. They're more Vikings than the Vikings are. They are. They're, they're what we think we are because we yeah. have, like, the moment. You know, we have the Blair Walsh moment, and all of a sudden every game's been like that when really it was just one moment, like two seconds, whatever. But with the Falcons, dude, this is literally every week. This is what their fans go through Every single week. What the Vikings did last week against Seattle, that gut punch, that's been Atlanta for like a year and a half since that Super Bowl. Just imagine that and tell me how you don't pick the Vikings this week. That's why I'm going Minnesota. Mm-hmm. All right. So that concludes our Minnesota-Atlanta analysis. Let's finish up with the rest of our picks here. Uh, it's an odd slate this week. Part of that is because we've got the first postponed NFL game coming into this week that I've seen, I believe, in my lifetime. I've never seen an NFL game straight up postponed and pushed to the next week. Uh, so we're repicking the same game once. And a couple of these other games on here are not great. Some of them are COVID-infested. And some of them have other question marks. So we've got an interesting slate here. And it starts off with Houston at Tennessee. Tennessee looks like one of the best teams in the NFL. Houston looks like one of the worst teams in the NFL. Now, that being said, Houston just found a way to win. And they looked good doing it. And Tennessee, on the other hand, just beat one of the best AFC teams. Yeah. Still, they look good for the first time this year. Yeah. Uh, I've been a big Tennessee Titans guy, with the exception of their COVID, uh, (laughs) you know, violations. Uh, By the way, Ryan Tannehill saying that he didn't know what they did. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that. Like, don't don't play the, uh, you know, I I felt disrespected or I didn't like the way we were treated card. Not called for. uh, And read the room. (laughs) Like, for sure. But uh, with that said, the Titans are really, really good. Uh, Arthur Smith is going to be a head coach next year. Um, that offense is humming. They've, they have scored 30, 30 points in three straight games. They're going to do it again, and they're going to win pretty easily. Yep, I'm taking Tennessee for the exact same reasons. Derrick Henry's a bus, and, dude, that Khalif uh, Raymond, dude, this that I was watching yesterday, when it wasn't going to A.J. Brown, it was going to some dude named Khalif Raymond who torched the Vikings earlier this season, if you remember. That guy also looks really good. Like a very, very solid player, to, to, especially when you've got A.J. Brown as your number one. Tennessee could roll this entire year. Uh, they're definitely going through Houston, so I'm taking them as well. Um, next one, a little bit lighter. Uh, Cincinnati at Indianapolis. So you got Philly Cheese going up against Joe Burrow here. Cincinnati definitely looks bad. Indianapolis looks a little bit vulnerable, but their record says they're good. Who goes? Who gets the W in this one? I really want to pick Joe Burrow, but... I think the Colts defense I distrusted a little bit more, so I'll take I'll take Indy. Yeah, I was just gonna say that when you play a rookie quarterback, I gen- the thing that I look for in terms of can they win the game, if unless they're like you know, honestly it's anyone, it's across the board. It doesn't matter if you're Joe Burrow, Andrew Luck, whatever. I look at is the opposing defense veter- like is there a lot of veterans on it? Are they you know are they smart and efficient fundamental players? And are they good as a cohesive unit? I think Indianapolis fits the bill there. I think that spells problems for Joe Burrow. I don't think he even gets more than a touchdown pass this game. I'm taking Indianapolis as well. Now, this next one here is what I was alluding to as I kind of introduced this segment of the show. And that is that we're picking Denver at New England for a second time in as many weeks. Uh, Of course, I don't – I think we both went New England last week. 
I don't think there's there's there is pretty good reason to change those picks now, though, because Drew Locke is expected to play for Denver. Cam Newton is expected to play for New England. So instead of picking that barn burner we had last week between you know third string quarterbacks, we now have the true face of mm-hmm. New England and the true face of Denver going head to head here. Locke coming back after suffering a week one injury, I believe. And of course, Cam Newton coming back from test protocol for COVID-19. Yeah. Also, Melvin Gordon got a DUI, so who yeah. knows if he's going to play, uh, which doesn't really impact what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to – I'm picking the Patriots anyway, but uh, just that's another element to this matchup that will be sure. something to follow. Absolutely. I'm going to take New England as well. Cam Newton's playing. I mean, we saw how good they looked when Cam Newton was playing. They're basically unstoppable with the exception of that one play that got stopped, and now people think they're stoppable. No, I'm not, <laughs> not buying into that. They're going to beat Denver. Uh, the next one here, uh, probably the worst game that I've seen in a long time got the Washington football team against the New York Giants, and they're playing in New York, the Big Apple, and there is so little star power in this game, it's hurtful. Like, I'm honestly offended that they put this game in front of me. Yeah. Um, do I have to pick this one? Uh, I'm going to go. I'll, I'll go with the Giants, uh, not because I like it, just because I had to pick a team. Okay, I'm going to pick Washington first and foremost because you picked New York. I want to split this one with you because I think this one can go either way. Second of all, I really liked what Ron Rivera said this week. If you guys were paying attention to what he was talking about with Dwayne Haskins, he was feeling a ton of questions about Haskins. And I really like that he just came out and straight up said, look, this guy's been our starter for 14 weeks or something like that. We gave him every opportunity. We didn't like what we saw. We're moving on. I love that he actually came out and said that. That's so awesome to hear because it doesn't like it's not necessarily like a knock on just Haskins. It's like we failed as an in a, as a organization, and we're gonna move forward with a different guy, and we're not gonna beat around the bush about it. I'm I was yeah. as a Vikings fan, very tired of beating around the bush about quarterbacks. You know, with the whole Case Keenum, Teddy Bridgewater, etc. dilemma. Uh, I really like that. So for that reason, I'm gonna pick Washington. And we're going to move forward here into Baltimore and Philadelphia is the next one on the docket here. Um, Philadelphia has shown some sign of life. Baltimore, Lamar Jackson has not been good. Like I'm saying that very quietly because I know there's ears out there that'll throw stones, but he's not been very good this year. Uh, And they're playing on the road in Philadelphia, which typically would make a bigger difference. Of course, with COVID-19 doesn't as much, but who gets this one done? I'll take Baltimore still. Uh, I just think Eagles are just so depleted. uh, I can't pick them right now. Yeah, uh, I can't remember <laughs> the name that I saw of the receiver that's picking up all their yards for Philadelphia right now. Travis Fulgham. Yeah, Fulgham. <laughs> he was on the he was on the practice squad two weeks ago, and he put up ten number one fifty two yeah. last week. <laughs> I was just gonna say he was killing it. Yeah, uh, but he's not gonna do that against Baltimore secondary, despite the fact no. that I saw their injury report today. By the way, Jimmy Smith and Marcus Peters both didn't practice. Calais Campbell didn't practice. So things are up in the air as of Wednesday. But hey, um, I'm still taking Baltimore. Hey, Wentz, Wentz is the only quarterback in the league with more interceptions than Kirk Cousins right now. So, Hey, how about that? Another thing for Philadelphia and Minnesota to fight about. Um, all right, the next one here. This one actually a fun showdown uh, for the probably the first time in years, honestly. And that's Cleveland and Pittsburgh are, quote, renewing a rivalry, um, if you will. Um, and that's because Seriously, Cleveland because could. did you see what Kareem Hunt said? He said this one's for Miles Garrett after – the uh, Mason Rudolph thing last year. He he said this one is for Miles Garrett, which unbelievable mindset to have uh, given the events that took place in that game. Uh, Another I very tone deaf individual for the record. So I'm not shocked. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I I do really like Cleveland this year, and I really want to pick them. 
Uh, they're a lot of fun, but I'm going to stick with Pittsburgh because, hey, Chase Claypool, man, that, that, was that guy's crazy. a stud. Another stud Already receiver. Already better than Will Fuller. How about that? so many stud receivers already in this draft class and the Green Bay Packers didn't draft them. Okay. One thing I want to note is that I'm trying to figure out who Pittsburgh's wide receiver coach is because he's a God because they literally like they, they churn out. Sure he had to have, he had to have, you know, moved on. There's had to have been multiple in the last decade, right? I'm because... sure. But like, it's, it, it's, it's literally every year they pick a new fifth round or third to fifth round guy who they want to be their, their guy. Right. I mean, of course, and Antonio Brown is the staple being the sixth round pick, but then I mean, but they've had yeah, Mike Wallace, Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, just like it just keeps going they, and going and yeah. going. There's they don't draft for wide receivers in the first round, and yet they always top five receiver. It doesn't make sense. I'm going Pittsburgh. Um, next one here, Chicago is going to Carolina. So you got Nick Foles facing off against Teddy Bridgewater here. Carolina hasn't really looked amazing, but the record says they are, at least through five weeks. Who's who we got yeah, in this one? Three and two, and uh, the Bears have stumbled backwards into three of their wins. Uh, <laughs> you know, they have the Detroit Lions. They were down 17 with like four minutes left, and they won the game over Detroit. Uh, you have the the Tampa Bay game last week that they were down nine, like with five minutes left, and Nick Foles did his stupid whatever. Uh, and of course, the Falcons game we already talked about a little bit, where they were down 16 with like you know late in the fourth, and they somehow won that game. So. That is the most like egregious four and one record I've ever seen. Like they do not belong in that category. Teddy is the quarterback that can get it done late and keep that type of thing happening. He loves to beat Teddy. Chicago too. Teddy Bridgewater yes. is our knight in shining armor when it comes to beating Chicago. I'm going with I'm going Carolina as well. That's not the reason why. I just think Chicago sucks straight up. And I think Carolina is really do. underrated. They do. This is like a matchup of an underrated organization and an overrated organization. Yeah. And I mean, hey, Vegas, Vegas agrees because you know, I think as far as I last time I checked, the Panthers were favored um, the Bears aren't in this good. game. They should be. So, All right. Uh, so we're both on Carolina. Moving on to the next one here. Another bad game, right? I and mean, honestly, there's a couple of them here rounding out this this week. Uh, Detroit at Jacksonville is the next one on my docket. Uh, Matthew Stafford will face off against Gardner Minshew. Who the hell would pay to watch that? You? <laughs> no. uh, I'll take Gardner just because I like I like to, I like watching Gardner Minshew. Guy's electric. Uh, it's like, you know, it, it kind of sucks that he is in Jacksonville. Whereas, like, yeah, I like think the the, the, it's ever. fun to think about if he had taken over in say Dallas, like the media attention that hit he would get for his personality and his right. the way he carries himself. It would be fun. Uh, but regardless, I like Minshew a lot, and I'm taking him. Okay, so I'm going to take Detroit uh, because I like Matthew Stafford, and I still think he, I, I still to this day think he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL. Just that Detroit is another one of those teams that just pisses down its own leg all the time. But against Jacksonville, there's not there's a lot of room for error against this Jacksonville team, mm-hmm. and I think that How about, Detroit. Uh, Jim Caldwell getting let go after I think he was there for what four or five seasons, and three of them were above 500 or something like that. Yep. And if you look at like their last like 25 years and the coaches like Jim Caldwell's far and away the highest winning percentage. And <laughs> now they've had Matt Patricia and they're still hanging on to him. Like he's going to save it for him. They fired a coach that had a record of 36 and 28 with them. They are eight games what? above 500 with Jim Caldwell. Yeah. There's, <laughs> it looks ridiculous now, especially he's after. the only coach that's given them relevancy. And since the NFC North was a division. 
hell, not even relevancy. He's the only coach that's given him hope. Period. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving forward into another barn burner here. Uh, the New York Jets and Miami Dolphins. Who you got in that one? The Dolphins. Uh, how about last week? Play against San Francisco, the defending NFC champions, and blow them out of the water by 26 points. Now, San Francisco doesn't look very good right. uh, at this point. But that's a stellar performance. And the Jets are the Jets. Somehow, Adam, I think my buddy had a theory last night, and I think it's true. Like, the Jets are hanging on to Gase so that they can get the first pick. Like, they're going to hold on to Gase <laughs> because him trying his best is going to give them the first overall pick. And <laughs> I like that theory. I'm going to run with it. Uh, I got the Dolphins. I'm cool with that. Uh, I'm taking Miami as well for the same reason. The Jets are the Jets. I'm, ne- I'm never going to pick the Jets in the show. It's not going to happen. I'm just going to pick whoever's <laughs> playing the Jets every week. So Miami, it's your week. Um, next one here, we got Green Bay and Tampa Bay. So GB versus TB here. Um, I saw this on the interweb today that this is only the third matchup, or excuse me, the I think it's the third matchup between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. It's either the third matchup or the fifth matchup. Either way, they've split their meetings to date. And I believe this will probably be the last time that these two teams uh, play each other. So this is the opportunity here for one of these two players, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. Yes, I know they're not actually playing each other, but one of them gets to set the record straight on who was better against the other one. And who's going to get it done this week? I think that both of these teams have the tools to beat the other one. I really do think this comes down to quarterback play because the Aaron Rodgers show is the difference in Green Bay. If he's on, it's over. In Tampa Bay, if, if Tom Brady is above average and not throwing pick sixes, this team looks really, really good. They're very explosive. they got a ton of great players. This should be actually a very fun game yeah. to watch. Yeah, I think Tampa's defense is actually going to be a different you know, change of pace for the Packers' offense because the Packers' offense has been has come across some rather easy defenses so far, and they've been able to run through them. So uh, I think this will be fun. And the, 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 the Bucks are weird enough where they've had some clunkers, but they've had some games where they've really shown up. Uh, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick the Bucks, and it's more of a like the Packers can't keep winning, uh, and it's probably that's probably wrong of me. Uh, like eventually, Rodgers is gonna have a not awesome game, but uh, that's my only rationale. It's not good rationale. So I'm gonna pick the Bucks as well, and my reasoning is the reason why I introduced this segment by saying that Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers have split their career opportunities against each other. I just, to me, in my mind, Tom Brady is still the greatest quarterback alive. I'm sure he knows that stat. I'm sure he's going to find every way to win this game. I just can't, like, it's going to look weird, right? Like, when Tom Brady retires and we look at the quarterbacks with the winning records against him, I believe it would just be Aaron Rodgers. So that's kind of, that's where I'm at. I'm going to pick Tampa Bay strictly because I'm on the Tom Brady train all day forever. Um, Next one here. Looks good on paper. The Rams are playing against the 49ers. Of course, the 49ers are depleted. They looked awful against Miami last week. And the Rams just ran through, I believe it was Washington that they played last week. Yes. Yeah. So I got, we got this uh, I got the Rams. Um, San Francisco just looks much, much worse. And I, Jimmy G got benched last week, like flat out benched. Uh, and we so saw that you, you wonder the Kyle Shanahan and Kirk Cousins relationship. Maybe a trade is possible if their quarterback situation keeps falling apart. Uh, the, the Niners can cut Jimmy G with only two million dead cap. Just saying. I got the Rams. <laughs> All right, so we're both rolling with the Rams. Um, I just don't think that San Francisco is San Francisco right now. And for that reason, I think it makes it a very simple pick because the Rams are the Rams. They're the team that they were in 2018, not the 2019 team this year. San Francisco is kind of the flip of that. 
So I'm going to take the Rams. I think that'll end up being a lot, uh, a lot further apart than I think a lot of people may think. Uh, the next one here, uh, another fun one, uh, AFC this time though, Kansas city plays Buffalo, which is interesting because, well, the announcers just compared Josh Allen to Patrick Mahomes. Now we get to see them on the same screen in the same field. Uh, I think that most of us would agree that Josh Allen isn't even the same stratosphere, even in terms of his abilities as Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but Buffalo looks really good with the exception to this game, most recent game against Tennessee. And I know this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league, but I still think Buffalo is really, really good. And that all being said, Kansas City has not looked good. They just lost to the Raiders, shockingly enough. And they yeah. lost playing their football, too. They lost 40-31. to 31, Lost a shootout. A, yeah, they lost a shootout. So that's a uh, problem for me. I think this becomes more of a debatable game than you know most people might think. I'm still sticking with my strategy of picking Kansas City against anybody. Um, I'm going to do that for the foreseeable future. Uh, I just with uh, the Bills look just as bad, if not worse, against Tennessee, which is yeah. kind of if ten, if Bills have put up a big W, I might have turned around my thinking on this. But I'm going to take the Chiefs. So I'm going to take the Chiefs, too, um, for the same reason as you, first and foremost, that I just don't pick against the Chiefs, even if I do think they're stuttering a little bit, because when the Chiefs stumble, they still stumble more, like still stumble better than most teams play football, right? Um, Buffalo last week, or I guess yesterday, um, was not themselves for for sure about that. And Josh Allen is too erratic for me. Whereas Patrick Mahomes, you know what you're going to get every week, even if he starts slow. So for to me, to me, that's the difference here. Is Patrick Mahomes is the guy. Allen is hoping to be the guy, and he's just not quite there. That mm-hmm. in my opinion. So I'm going Kansas City. And then the final one we got here is Arizona and Dallas. We got two bye weeks this week. Um, Kyler Murray fakes is off against, it will be Andy Dalton, which should be fun for Dallas, I'm sure. Uh, but I'm sure that'll go very over well in the media, especially if he loses too. Um, who we got in this one? I don't know. Uh, I think I'll pick, I'll pick Murray um, just because there's a little bit of doubt about, you know, how well Dalton is going to, I guess, take the rust off, so to speak. Um, but uh, I do think this will be a fun kind of a lot of points scored in this one. I'm going to take Arizona, too. Um, I'm on the Arizona train. You guys know that. I also will note, though, is that if there's a if there's a best backup in the NFL, it's got to be Andy Dalton, right? I mean, he started last year, and he started pretty well two years ago. So if you're going to hand the keys to someone after an injury, I like your chances with Andy Dalton. It's just that I like Arizona's chances even with – Dak in there at quarterback, so um, I'm going to take the Cardinals. I think they get the uh, they get the win in Dallas this week, and that rounds out our picks. So as of this week, both of us went nine and five in 14 games last week. That gives me at 52 and 25, and Drew standing at 49 and 28. The three game pick difference through five weeks, um, and that's about all I got for you. So. Thank you guys, as always, for listening to the show. Uh, make sure to check us out on Daily Norseman and the Climbing the Pocket Network. Uh, make sure to check out the rest of the great content that's available um, on the internet there. Uh, you can find our show, as always, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, if you are one of the eight people who likes to watch us on YouTube, uh, we are available there as well. So uh, thank you guys, as always, for listening to the show and going through our picks with us. And we will catch you next week. Oh.